Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. In the studio, though, I'm delighted to say is uh, the journalist, columnist and author Jen Hogan. Afternoon, Jen. Good afternoon, Sean. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm sounding a little bit hoarse too. So, well, actually more hoarse than you, but I just have a cold. I don't have the COVID. So <laughs> just to clear that up right now. <laughs> well, well, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because you, mm-hmm. COVID is the only disease, you know, the only thing people take seriously yeah. now. You can't say I can't come into work today because I've got a bit of flu. Uh, that's that's not good enough. Abs- it has to be something. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like I should have a sign around me, though. Every time I say hello to somebody, I feel like I have to immediately go, I don't have the COVID. I don't have the COVID. I promise I tested. I don't have the COVID. <laughs> There's a bit of that going on. Mm, it's true. Uh, anyway, as usual, Jen's been uh, having a look at some of the stories uh, that caught her eye over the course of the weekend. T- describe for in case people missed it, because not everybody perhaps reads the sun. But but d- d- give us a, a taste of what Jeremy Clarkson said about Meghan Markle. Yeah, I mean this one. This is quite incredible. This one. Um, in the in Jeremy's column, he wrote, I hate her on a cellular level. At night, I'm unable to sleep as I lie there grinding my teeth and dreaming of the day when she is made to parade naked through the streets of every town in Britain while the crowds chant shame and throw lumps of excrement at her. Now, just before that, he had said how he hates her. Not in the same way that he hates Nicola Sturgeon and Rose West, you know, because of a comparison there. Um, but he, he hates her at a cellular level. So, yeah, it, I mean, it was just... It, it, provoked a huge reaction. Anybody on Twitter would have seen a lot of British celebrities coming out condemning him and pointing out that it was misogyny at his at its highest form. He has come out today. That's the really hilarious thing almost because there is absolutely no word sorry in his apology. Just even before we came on air, he came out and he said "Oh, on Twitter, oh dear, I've rather put my foot on it. In a column I wrote about Meghan, I made a clumsy reference to a scene in Game of Thrones and this has gone down badly with a great many people. I'm horrified to have caused so much hurt and I shall be more careful in the future. You can imagine the sort of response that one got because there's no, he never says sorry. And this whole idea of it, of Megan being fair game. I mean, the column was just full of vitriol towards her and he ridiculed Harry too. And as if she had, he had been in some way emasculated, this whole idea that she was just a puppet for him and he did whatever because he's a bit daft, you know, but she was the instigator of all, all these problems. And when you think about it, I know people have these kind of mixed views around the Megan and Harry, um, the documentary on Netflix. And I think Pierce Morgan and along, along with Jeremy now will probably have done wonders for encouraging people to actually watch the documentary now. I mean, it was Pierce certainly brought my attention to it and I'm not that particularly interested as a whole in the British, on the British family or in the British family even, but royal family. But when, when you see that kind of level of constant vitriol being directed her way and the absolute hate and contempt for her and all they've done really and all Jeremy has done here is prove Meghan's point. Hmm. It's it's astonishing it actually generates that much hatred. Now, I assume Clarkson was being kind of a little bit satirical in this. <laughs> he's, he's certainly claiming to be. But, I mean, when you read it, when you read the piece as a whole, he's, I mean, I, I, it's, he's like he's on the back foot here now, but he's most definitely, I mean, you just read it and it is inciting, it, like there's an inciting of hatred towards Megan and even the kind of misogynistic imagery that he conjures up, especially at the moment when we know how, um, how much 
contempt and hate is directed towards Meghan in the, within the British media. How this actually even got past an editor, I'm not sure. Satire or otherwise, as he may try to claim, though I'm not sure the rest of the column can justify it. But um, how it got past an editor, I think that's nearly as baffling as the column itself. Besides what he's he's written, how an editor didn't stop this and go, this is completely out of order altogether. But again, it's all justified and she continues to be the villain, the big bad female villain, and it's just completely acceptable. Or at least it wasn't on Twitter yesterday, as I said, loads of celebrities coming out and condemning the piece. But... um. I, again, it just, it's just mind-blowing that it's allowed, that it's allowed to happen and that you can see this constant triggering that these young women constantly trigger these middle-aged men. It's, it's, it's shocking. Uh, yeah, do you think that's what it is? Is age or is it, is it almost kind of like if, if we completely vilify Meghan Markle, <laughs> then we make the royal family look better uh, and not an, an, an irrelevant uh, noose on the British taxpayer's neck? I think there has to be, I mean, there's no other reason for it. Even the way he portrayed Harry as being a complete eejit altogether and not capable of independent thinking and basically he's a puppet for Meghan. It seems to be acceptable to vilify her, like you said, perhaps just so that they can justify the existence and the cost of the British royal family. But it's, I mean, we saw with Greta, Greta Thunberg as well, where it was, she seems to trigger and absolutely make some kind of white middle-aged men's brains want to explode altogether, those of a particular political persuasion. and um, it, it just it seems to be the idea of this woman, this independent woman who can articulate herself in an intelligent, coherent manner and make some really good points. Um, I suppose I watched the documentary out of curiosity and yes, there was a lot of self-indulgence in it. Absolutely, it goes without saying. But she did make some very valid points that we are seeing and that we have seen since the documentary went out. And, and even the idea, like Piers Morgan separately, he keeps claiming that, you know, that, that it's lies, that it's lies. Nobody knows what's going on in there besides the people who are part of that family and maybe these men in grey suits that Diana referenced as well in the past. Nobody knows what's going on. And yet you have people so adamant that they're lying, that they're making it up, that they're bringing shame on the family. It's always sad, of course, to see a family break down or to see relations break down if you're looking at what's happening between the brothers. But would you leave your wife there when that level of vitriol and hatred and when she was being used as a scapegoat constantly? Yeah, I suppose in a lot of regards, I admire Harry for walking away as he did. But Meghan just continues to be fair game for the ongoing constant criticism and people's... They're obsessed with her and obsessed in a really negative way. Yeah. What, what has he got against Nicola Sturgeon as well? <laughs> God knows. He didn't, he didn't expand on that. God knows. But perhaps, perhaps there she is, another independent woman who'd like independence. Maybe that's what it is. And maybe he doesn't like that idea. I'm not sure. He didn't expand. But she's up there with Rose West anyway. <laughs> so. a, a well-known independent woman who took her own decisions. Uh, <laughs> You could say that and then uh, ate them or whatever she did with them. Uh, Right now, another piece that kind of jumped out for you um, was, and I suppose it's because because of the feckin' pandemic, which it seems it's still ongoing given that I'm at home, but but that Christmas is really going to be different this year round for a lot of people and a lot more emotional. Um, are you, do you mean the piece where people were coming back to the airport? And yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, this piece by Patrick yeah. O'Donoghue in the Sunday Times. It was lovely. He was writing about the joyous scenes in the airport. And I suppose when you look at it, it's going to be the first normal Christmas, if you can call it normal, because I know COVID obviously hasn't disappeared, but the first normal Christmas in a long time. We've seen it already in the build-up. And now we have families reuniting again and getting back together. And there were stories and families who hadn't seen each other for six years because maybe a little bit of time had lapsed and then COVID came along and put a hold on things for even longer and I suppose I really related to this even though I don't have family abroad because it's the first year 
in three years that we're going to be spend Christmas with my in-laws. And that was, I suppose, because of COVID in 2020, you had the, you know, we kept away as we were advised in 2021, there was the fear. And I think this is something that maybe we're not, we haven't really addressed you know, we, yes, there was a really important public health message that had to go out there. We needed to be warned of the dangers. We needed to do the things that we had to do. But in some ways, we terri- we continue to terrify the already terrified. And I know it meant that my own um, my own parents and I we were very nervous. They were very, very nervous and we didn't get to see them at all. It was really kind of sad last year. We were Zoom calling them over Christmas and we, we didn't get to see very much of them over the couple of years. And they live in the same country as we do. But that level of fear is still there. Mm. And when, you, when I speak to other people, they'll tell me that they have relatives too who are still extremely cautious, they're still extremely nervous. And there's somewhere in there that we need that little bit of balance. Yes, be cautious, be aware, COVID hasn't gone away. We talk about the twindemic and things like that. But as I said, we're terrifying the already terrified, perhaps, because we're not, you know, in terms of preaching to the converted, you're not necessarily getting the message through, perhaps, to the people that you'd like to get it through. You're just getting it through to those who've already taken completely and utterly on board to the sort of levels that they're afraid to mix again or that they're nervous about mixing again. But this piece was very much about the the lovely family reunions and seeing everybody back together and having those first Christmases together in years. And it was just the kind of sort of feel-good thing that we needed, particularly at the moment, because there is so much... I mean, there's been a lot of sad news in recent times. You know, we're still in the middle of a cost of living crisis and we talk about the huge pressures that are on families at Christmas and the huge pressures that are on people and it can be a lonely time for others. And, you know, it has become, I suppose, a commercial occasion too as well. Um, but there are wonderful things and it is very much a family time and it's lovely to see those family reunions celebrated as they were. Yeah, you also uh, were looking at a story about the kind of clothes people wore during the very cold snap. Now, it always strikes me when it gets, if, if I'm walking in the centre of Dublin and it's cold, occasionally you'll meet someone wearing shorts or a T-shirt <laughs> or, or you know, and you go, what are you made of? Uh, um, but, but it was also a bit of a fashion show as well. I think you must have been bumping into my sons, Sean. I think that's what it must have been. Yeah. <laughs> out, the, out in the shorts and she, you don't need a coat, ma'am. It doesn't matter what, how many degrees minus it is. You know, we're hardy, we're hardy and cool. Um, yes, so this this is a piece again in the Sunday Times by Patrick O'Donoghue and he was he was saying, mams, grands and aunts, lock up your wardrobe and talking about the fact that over it's kind of stemming from COVID but it was seen particularly last week and kind of during the, the um, cold, winter cold that people were but were using a lot of their parents and aunts and relatives clothes and there was this whole idea of um, reusing clothes instead of fast fashion and things like that, that that was very much being rejected and we were seeing clashing colours and we were seeing as a lot of things we'd have worn all those years ago. And um, it is interesting to see because I, I have, as well as small children, I have adult children at home. And I'd certainly see now, and I suppose it's a little bit horrifying too, you see, you know, your kids wearing the same sort of stuff that you used to wear. And like, you know, that whole thing about you're not supposed to, you know, if you were around the first time it was worn, you're too old to wear it the second time. I mean, if you pay any heed to that. But when it's coming around the third time, you start really wondering, are you 100? Mm. And like my daughter now, I've seen her and like she has the ultimate burn. She'll be out there. She'll take my clothes. She'll be out. She'll be wandering around. I've even seen them on her friends. And when you turn around, you go, is that my top? Are they my jeans? Are they my trousers? As if I'd be caught dead (laughs) in your clothes. I mean, absolute burn. 
But it is, it is really funny to see it because to see like kind of fashion come around and come full circle and earmuffs are back and leg warmers are back and all the 90s stuff is back and animal print as well apparently though I didn't even know that had gone away but anyway it had and it's back uh-huh. and, and the 90s I suppose for me again looking at this whole piece and them talking about the 90s as if it was 30 years ago you know where really it was obviously only five or six years ago at least in my head anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah mine too. <laughs> uh, well I suppose a lot of this is because they buy all their clothes in thrift shops so mm. it, it does look like it's yeah, uh, uh, it can look like the 1970s sometimes. That's great, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's great to see. I, like, it's nice to see the things you used to wear come back. But even I suppose being that a bit environmentally conscious and that bit environmentally aware, as well as saving money too, it's kind of win-win for everybody. Except if you feel that perhaps third time around you can't wear it this time. <laughs> That's the only problem. <laughs> Well, at least it's it is environmentally uh, responsible uh, mm-hmm. uh, to do that. Now, another piece that uh, Jen was looking at, and this is going back to the Christmas theme, because it feels like the war in Ukraine mm-hmm. had been going on. I, I, I don't want to sound glib, going on forever, but this will be the first Christmas in this country for thousands of Ukrainians who, as I understand it, don't actually celebrate the 25th of December. Yeah, um, I mean, the 60,000 Ukrainians are going to spend their first Christmas in Ireland this year. And they don't, you're right, they don't celebrate Christmas on the 25th of December. They celebrated on the 7th of January. So it was obviously, I mean, like you said there, the, if you were, when the war first started, and I don't know about you, but every day I remember going to bed and you check to see, was Zelensky still alive? Um, was there any update? There was this hope that we would have a, a, an, an end to it soon. And even though we were warned it would probably go on a long time. And now it's just become part of life, but not part of life so much for them. These 60,000 people, 60,000 Ukrainians here, many of them living in hotels. Um, and they're going to have to celebrate Christmas in, in very different circumstances. So this interview um, with um, by Julianne Corr was chatting to people who are living in hotels and talking about how they're celebrating away from their sons, away from their husbands, celebrating away from their family, perhaps parents who couldn't may, who couldn't come away from Ukraine because their jobs demanded that they'd stay there. And they were talking about, apparently they have a 12 course Christmas dinner so we think we're bad 12 courses wow something else alright and they don't have Christmas trees they use different decorations they were just chatting about how different it would be but there was always also this lovely positive and um, you know that they were going to make the best of it and that they did think that we did our um, Christmas in Ireland in a very authentic way while they acknowledged that perhaps it was a little bit more commercial here than Ukraine it was done in a very authentic way I suppose it's that reminder to us that just because the war in Ukraine has become old news to us and that we've just got used to it and we've moved on that some that there are 60,000 people whose lives who are, who are living here whose lives have been absolutely turned upside down and you know Christmas the season of goodwill and the time of um, good cheer to all men and women that we might remember them particularly like when you look at some of the protests the, the awful protests that we've seen in recent years which is the time that we're supposed to be welcoming people and supporting people and I suppose remembering that Christmas is going to be very different for, for those people living here away from their family and so far from home Yeah, indeed, yeah, it is worth uh, sparing a thought for them. Now, of course, we couldn't not have this conversation today (laughs) and not mention the the World Cup final. And I think probably a lot of people watch it who wouldn't necessarily be football fans at all. It was an extraordinary match. Uh, That's a given. But in a way, though, a part of me hopes, wishes it hadn't been an extraordinary match. Part of me wishes it had been rubbish because that's no more than a World Cup in Qatar deserved. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. I mean, could they have asked for better, really? But when you think about it, the whole thing, all the commotion, all the objections at the beginning, all the virtue signalling, which was really all it boiled down to be in the end, because people didn't wear the the one love bands like they promised they were or said they were going to. And then once they kind of fell at the full hurdle. And ultimately, they have had the best World Cup final in years, like another longest time. It was absolutely phenomenal. And completely captivating viewing from start to finish. I mean, oh, you, you were on the edge of your seat. You thought it was all over. Argentina had it won. France and this f- amazing comeback. And it's sports washing at its finest, isn't it? Because that's what it's probably going to be remembered for. Not the migrant workers, not the human rights issues, not all the, the, not the, not the scandals leading up to, to them getting the World Cup. Not that. It's going to be remembered for it being the best World Cup final in, in, in years. And it's such a pity. I mean, I enjoyed it. I especially enjoyed it because... Um, I was saying we we actually I had a I had a small bet on Messi to be top scorer and we cashed out just before Mbappe got that third goal <laughs> so so that particularly helped but it is and we're all talking about it for the football reasons which is really important but it didn't get to be the platform that people promised it would be it didn't get to be the highlighting of things that people promised it would be because ultimately as as we were told sports washing took over yeah money took over money took over um, yeah it money was yeah, it was interesting though yesterday that uh, Joanne Cantwell uh, mentioned this that at the when they had the uh, uh, you know the playoff on Saturday mm-hmm. uh, to see who was third and fourth that you know the bit at the end yeah. where they hand out the medals to everybody including the the the, the refs there was a female ref and whoever was um, the the Qatari FAR or FIFA guy didn't shake her hand refused to shake her hand. Um, because she was a woman. And then Joanne Campbell pointed out, well, let's see what happens now, because it was the emir of, uh-huh. of Qatar who was there. Uh, will, will he shake her hand? And she had mentioned like the day before that a kind of a clever director, or a clever camera operator had caught this guy not shaking her hand. But just when he was, it, just that it got to her, the camera cut away from that. Now, I think you could kind of see, I think he did shake her hand, but obviously they didn't want to show it on Qatari television because that would be scandalous. Scandalous. Which is appalling. Imagine that that would be scandalous. I mean, it is. It is appalling. But I mean, we, look, all these things were flagged to us in advance and we had lots of people saying they wouldn't watch the World Cup, whether they went through with that or not, I don't know. I think Roy Keane summed it up perfectly. He was, he was very, you know, he insisted on calling it out from the beginning. He made his views on the English national team in particular quite clear about what he felt they should have done and yesterday as well after that fabulous final he said that the competition was tainted and you know that it was, it was you know like he he called it out as it was and we can't really you know we can't pretend otherwise yes it was fabulous football yes everybody enjoys a big competition like that but it's still it was still rotten to the core really the whole thing Yeah and unfortunately the fact that uh, it was such a success uh, doesn't discourage FIFA from Keep going with the corruption. No, so, and uh, even even when you look at thought. the even when you look at the stadium that the final was won in, you know, and there's an awful lot of um, uh, backstory around there with the migrant workers. But what will it be rem- remembered for? That fabulous final, that fabulous final with Mbappe and Messi, the two amazing players, and the rest of them, of course. But all focus being on those two lads. Yeah, indeed, Jen. Thanks a million, Pleasure. and uh, happy Christmas to happy you. Happy Christmas. Uh, uh, that's. Uh, Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 pm on News Talk.